Hi everybody, welcome back to the UMA Financial Podcast. My name is Chad Kelly. Today we're going to be talking with Jeff Sesger about the importance of building credit. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Jeff, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Chad. Great to be here. We're uh, we're going to talk today about the importance of building credit and what that means. Um, before we we jump into this topic, though, I've got a couple uh, statistics that I found from browsing some general information about uh, credit card balances and whatnot. Um, I want to share those with you and hear some of your thoughts. Great, first. excellent. So the average credit card balance for an adult in 2019 is four thousand two hundred ninety-three dollars. So I get nothing outrageous, but yeah. uh, um, I guess if you were to average it out, forty-two hundred dollars. Um, in two thousand and seven, the average balance was seventy-three hundred dollars. Interesting. So a fair amount higher. Yeah. Um, another interesting point to that was from two thousand four to two thousand and seven, average credit card balances raised thirty percent. Wow. Yeah, and so not yeah, surprising yeah, given yeah. what happened after two thousand. Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, you say, "Oh, well, yeah, it makes sense, right?" So, yeah. So, what is what does this? I guess this information tell us about you know, credit card balances and how what effect that has on our economy or society. Now, it's a, it's a great point. We could probably do a podcast related to just just that statistic right there. You know, uh, it does tend to be a leading indicator and an indicator that many economists watch in terms of how are people, how is the economy growing? What's really driving the economy? I think one of the challenges in 2008 particularly was much of our growth had been fueled by debt and that came from you know, government debt, that came from corporate debt, and that came from individual debt. Um, thankfully today, as you look at uh, you know, the, the growth that we've experienced in our economy since that point, uh, the consumer the, is much better, and, and that's, that shows in your statistics that you shared. Um, whether that's uh, the lack of, of uh, available credit uh, in terms of going out and refinancing your house and pulling money out, maybe some of the practices that happened in the past, or just the fact, and hopefully it's the case, that we learned our lesson and as consumers we're much more aware of the debt we're taking on and how we're taking it on. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely appears that um, we're a little bit healthier Absolutely. as a whole Absolutely. now than we were at that point. Absolutely. So I guess uh, let's define what is credit. Uh, that, that's a term that has multiple, uh, a word that has multiple meanings, but in, in the context of this conversation, what is credit? It's a great question. You know, I think. And, and you're right, there's, there's lots of ways we talk about credit, but in this conversation, credit is, is really a way of, of trying to measure uh, uh, someone's ability to pay another person back and, and your ability to, let's say you're the lender, your ability to lend someone something and know if you're gonna get that tool back. Yeah. And you know, I would say as far as, as history, as long as history's been around, as long as people have been lending products to, to each other, they're, they've always, people have always been striving for a way of saying, is this a good risk? Is this a, you know, am I going to get back what I'm giving to this person? And how do I measure um, what I'm going to give or how much I'm going to give of that, that product or tool to someone else? You, you know, this is probably a concept that we all employ in our households as well. You know, if your, your kid says, hey, dad, lend me money or I need a, I want to buy that. You yeah. say, are you going to pay me back? Yeah. Are they credit worthy? In Can your you mind, you're them? thinking, yeah. am I going to get this money <laughs> yeah. back, right? That's right. 
But, uh, you know, we, so the, we've come up with a, a system, a way of scoring someone's credit worthiness. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. How, how, how do we even gather information to determine if someone is credit worthy? It's a great question. Maybe we could even take a step back. And, and you know, it's interesting. And um, people found, obviously, through history, ways of measuring that credit worthiness, that, that ability to pay something back. Yeah. Um, but there was a big change as far as the, uh, the practice of lending uh, is concerned in 1956. There were two gentlemen, uh, the two founders of what today we know as, the, as FICO or the Fair Isaac Corporation. Um, an engineer, Bill, William Fair, and a mathematician, Earl Isaac. And they were tackling the same challenge of how do you determine if someone is credit worthy or not. And um, basically what they did is they, they started applying algorithms to try to solve this question. Um, and, and they had some success with it. They, they took different inputs to try to figure out you know, can I trust this person or not? And that essentially started uh, today what we what we know as FICO. Um, what was interesting, though, and 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 I don't think I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but even until the late 1980s, there wasn't a systematic way of measuring that for for us as consumers or lenders in in the in the U.S. And um, there were some things that happened, but really in 1989 is when, uh, the, when the FICO, uh, the Fair Isaac Corporation, developed the algorithm today that we know as the FICO score. And that, yeah. that's one of many measurements, but probably the most universally accepted. Um, you know, it's, it's estimated that like 90% of all U.S. Uh, agreements as far as lending use the FICO uh, score to measure that. Um, today there's you know, billions of transactions that are done based off of that. Um, and, and so it is nice that we're in a period of time now where with laws passed like the uh, Equal Credit Opportunity Act that states that you can't judge, a, you know, can't judge someone based off of maybe something out of their control, whether it be things like race, color, um, I don't know, religion or, or the sex of the applicant. Yeah. Those things today don't necessarily determine the credit worthiness of someone. Um, there is an algorithm that, that's meant to be fair for everyone to, to determine, is this a viable option to, to lend this person what I'm going to lend them? Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, I mean, even since the 2008 Great Recession, we've seen processes change of people determining credit worthiness. It, it's a, it's a, it seems like it's a continual um, lenders and uh, mortgage companies, whatnot, are continually trying to t- fine-tune this. I guess that's right. That's uh, right. Make sure they get it dialed in. Yeah, yeah. And even how it was used in 1989, and we can we can talk a little bit about the score itself, but um, how it was used in 1989 as compared to today, that the score has changed, you know, a little bit. But so essentially, as answering your uh, original question, um, there. They're credit bureaus is what, what they're called, and these are basically groups that go out and they collect on a person your history, your, your credit history. Yeah. They then take the uh, Fair Isaac uh, algorithm and they use that to create what is known as a FICO score. And so today, FICO has you know sold 100 billion of its scores, and uh, it's, it's, again, the most widely used um, form in the world uh, to do that. So those, those three credit bureaus, the major ones, are uh, TransUnion, 
uh, Experian, and Equifax. Okay. And so they, they compile this information and give you a score that the score ranges from 300 being poor credit to 850 being great credit. That's right. Yeah, essentially once they, once they compile this data, it's interesting because you know, someone might ask, well, how do they get my data? Yeah. Well, it's, it's your credit history itself. So those that are lending your money, that are using this score to determine if they, they should lend you money and what, at what rate they should lend you money, um, they're actually tracking whether or not you're paying back what you said you were going to pay back. They're supplying that data to these credit bureaus, and these credit bureaus are then using that to track your score and then selling that score back to that lender again so they can make that lending. And then that's how they tabulate, like you said, that range whether or not you're a good risk or not to lend. And then the lender then uses that range to determine at what rate. First off, are they going to give you the loan? And second, how much are you going to pay for that loan? Someone that's in that upper range that you mentioned, closer to that, that top of that chart, over 800, let's say, they're going to be, um, you know, at a very, the, the least expensive rate. You know, it, it's, it's a very good uh, risk for them to take and in terms of, of knowing you're going to pay that, that loan back. Whereas if you're in that bottom end, if you can get the loan, you're going to pay a lot more for that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I guess you said these, these bureaus, they go out, they collect data. What are some of the main things they're looking for? Um, you know, if you, I guess if you understand what they're looking for, you can kind of strategize about how you use credit, what you borrow yeah. for. Yeah, I think there's two parts that's important for a consumer. One is understanding the components that are in it, and then second, understanding what the scores mean, where, where your score is and then yeah. what the score means. So yeah, we could absolutely talk through that. You know, by far uh, the biggest portion of calculating the score, and like I say, this this changes a little bit, but from the most recent data we have from from FICO, um, the the biggest portion is um, is kind of looking at your your payment history, your yeah. credit history. That's about thirty five percent. Are you defaulting on? Your payments. That's exactly right. Which you know means you know how long have you been paying and are you paying? Are yeah. you doing what you said you were going to do? Pretty straightforward. You know if you're paying on time, this 35% of your score is really going to help you. If you're missing your payments, if you're late on a payment, it's going to hurt you. Yeah. You know, pretty straightforward. Uh, the second component is the amount of debt that you have, and that's 30% of it. And specifically, what what they look at there is kind of revolving debt. Um, you know, keeping your balances as as low as possible in terms of um, the credit available to you versus how much you're using. Um, it, yeah. And that also, if you know, if a lender's lending money and they look and say, well, yeah, they have a lot of credit history, they're paying their payments, but they're also they also have a lot of debt, and they tend to max that out every time. Yeah. You know, they they acquire debt. That that might be a sign that maybe they couldn't pay back future debts. So so second one being kind of the amount and, and of debt that you have there. Um, third is is looking more at the length of um, your credit history, yeah. and that's about 15%. Um, the longer your history with your lenders, uh, the more on-time payments you make, the better. And so um, that by far is the biggest part of uh, those three components make up the majority of that, how they figured the score. That's exactly right. And those are things that people can really control by, you know, 
starting your debt, starting that as a tool in your life, using it appropriately, and making sure that you're making your payments on time, things like that. Um, there's, there's two other components that make up the remaining 20%, so that, that's 80% of your score, whereas the last 20% would be things like um, whether or not you have a new credit. Applying for too many loans or lines of credit can sometimes hurt your score for a, for a small period of time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a small enough piece that we would still encourage people to rate shop to maybe go out, which means that they're pulling your credit reports and things and affecting this area. But um, you know, each time you're you're opening up a new credit line, that might affect your score by I don't know two points or something. It's not a lot compared okay. to overall. So if you're rate shopping and could get a better rate from one lender for another, don't be afraid to do that. Just because this could negatively impact your score yeah. for you know a short period of time. Uh, and then finally, the credit mix, um, you know, the types of credit that you have, yeah. you know, that's kind of that last 10%. And um, so, you know, if you have things like a credit card, student loans, a mortgage, auto loans, you have a good mix of credit. And some of that's longer term debt, some of it's shorter term consumer debt. Um, that, that, and if you're able to use those effectively, pay them on time, it looks like a good tool, it's a good mix, and that's kind of that last 10% of your score. Yeah, that makes sense. So these are the factors that affect the credit score. Now, if, if, if you're like me, from time to time you say, well, you know, we're thinking about buying a house or making a purchase. I don't even, you know, I think about my credit score once a year. Or I don't, you know, if you're your average right. person, it's not something you think about frequently. So when the, the next big purchase comes around and you say, what's my credit score? It, is this something you can check or is it something you just kind of have to wait to be told what it is? You can absolutely check it. Yeah. In fact, you know, you can always pay for that. Okay. Um, through those three lending agencies that we mentioned, you could go to FICO directly and obtain a copy of your credit score. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're probably going to pay for that if you went to FICO. But one thing that's nice, probably around $60, one thing that's nice about FICO is uh, you're getting all three of those agencies that we talked about. All three scores are in one thing. Okay. Um, one thing I might mention here is that uh, we should probably take a minute and talk about the number itself of the score and what it means because I think one thing that surprises people when they do obtain a copy of their credit score is um, they might see a slightly different score sometimes as much as you know 20 to 40 points difference between one lender or one credit agency I should say and another okay. our credit bureau um, and and you know there's some reasons behind that but don't get too hung up and when you if you see that you know, TransUnion has your score higher than Equifax or something. Sure. They're all trying to collect that data that we talked about earlier and put it into a score for you. And so if you see that that um, one lender has a score that is you know a little bit higher, it could just be that they have some data that another one doesn't. Yeah, it's you know, like so flowing into their system. Yeah, overall, what most lenders are trying to do is look and just make sure that you are getting um, the the they're getting a good average between all of them. So, so first off, don't get too hung up on if you see that. Um, but once you do get your score, um, I guess the other way you could get it if you didn't want to pay for it is now most credit card companies will supply it to you. Oh. So a lot of the major card companies, Discover or um, 
um, you know, a lot of the banks that issue them, Bank of America, Citibank. Yeah. Um, I know I get emails that say, hey, check your credit score for free through my credit card service. Yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't be the thing that, you know, if they're, if they're pulling it again, that can actually affect your score. So you don't, yeah. you probably don't want to jump on there every day and be too concerned about it. But like you said, keeping up on it, watching it over a year's time. Um, one question I'll have sometimes is, you know, if I'm brand new and I want to start to build credit, how long does that take till I have a credit score? Well, it takes about six months to have wow. enough credit history behind you that they can start to tabulate a score for you. That's a pretty good rule of thumb as far as checking too. Okay. You know, um, you know, things that happen within six months, unless you defaulted on something over 90 days or something, it's probably not going to affect your credit too much. Um, you know, so if you're checking it each year and kind of walk, working toward, and we can talk about some of the things to improve that, you know, it's, it's going to help you. But I wanted to take a, a step back and, and just briefly talk about when you do get your score, what does it mean? And then we can talk about maybe some ways of, of even improving that if you'd like. Um, you know, if, if, again, Chad, you mentioned it, the score is typically, uh, when you're looking at a FICO, somewhere between 300 and 850. Yeah. Um, anything over about 800 is considered excellent. Pretty um, good score. And, yeah. Those are the people that are going to get the best rates to the lenders they're going to. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when they're offering the great deals, they want to attract the best lenders, borrowers, um, that's where they're going to go to yeah. those. Um, and and a, each lender kind of applies these a little bit different, but but um, if you if you look at like kind of how FICO suggests that you you look at their score from about 740 to 799, that's going to be very good. Um, and uh, and then good would be kind of in that 670 to 739 range. Okay. Once you get below that, you're kind of subpar. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a higher risk in terms of lending. So, you know, for those that might be below there, 580 to 669, that's fair in terms of lending. And then anything below 580 is really considered a poor, high risk. You're going to pay, you know, um, kind of subprime. Sometimes you'll hear those called and you're going to pay the highest rates. High rates yeah. yeah. So to give you an idea, you know, if you looked at the nation, um, as, as of kind of some of the most uh, Fire Isaac, as far as their data, um, probably right around 21% of the nation falls into that excellent category. Above 800. Above 800, okay. exactly right, like 20.7, um, which means that roughly about 80% of people don't. You know, they have an opportunity to work to improve that, to get maybe a little bit better rates and benefit from that. Sure. Um, if you look on the other hand, um, you know, there were... Uh, about 22%, um, a little bit more now, but 22% um, are, are actually kind of in that 600 to 699 range. And about 20% of Americans fall below that, um, that 600 range. So overall, um, you know, nearly 60% of Americans today, as opposed to maybe pre-2007 when you talked earlier, are above 700, you know. So they're kind of in that range where they're 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 good. They're it's, it's a good score. Um, they're they're maybe not in that very good or exceptional category, but most Americans today are in that that good range. So, um, in terms of what you are you're kind of uh, asking about, and uh, you know, the score itself. Does that answer your question? With yeah yeah no, I think that that breaks out. What you know what ranges you should shoot for. 
Um, what's typical? I mean, should I hit the panic button if I get a 750 score? The answer is probably no. It's probably a pretty decent score. Um, but no, I think uh, I think if you're if you're okay, with it, let's transition into talking about you know if you maybe if you fall into one of those lower tiers, and a lot of young physicians or I guess physicians in general have this question of you know I got a score or I'm just starting out. Um, how do I build up a good score? Like what, what what do I need to do to raise it or create a path of good credit so that someone will lend me one day to buy a house or to um, get better interest rates? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're looking at building a score now, look at the look at the categories that we mentioned earlier. And um, if you're not, you know, if you, if you didn't get a chance, rewind this podcast or jump onto Fair Isaac Corporation. Uh, uh, you can Google House Fair Isaac calculated. But yeah. you know, overall, as we mentioned, the majority of the score would be um, what we talked about earlier. You know the Paying, making your payment on time, your history, um, having having a varied types of credit, having having um, uh, you know factors that you can control. So, from the most part, I would say use debt much like a corporation would, um, and so you have to be disciplined about this. But use debt as a tool. Use debt effectively in your life to help create a position where you can obtain things that you might normally not be able to obtain. Just out of your own, out of your own income. Yeah. You know, we see that with homes. Um, you know, sometimes we see that with automobiles. We see it with education with a lot of our physicians, um, and so they've been building credit in most cases, um, especially on the education front and, and trying to borrow to, to uh, you know, to make sure that they're getting there. So making those payments on time, trying to make things as automatic as possible. Um, you, you've probably seen the Saturday Night Live skit where they they talk about you know. The basics of credit card use. You know, if you can't afford it, <laughs> don't, don't buy it. it. You know, it's so, pretty pretty crazy statistic, but <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of those concepts they, they ring true here. You know, yeah. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. If you can't make the payment, don't do it. It's gonna affect your credit score. Yeah, I think with most things in life, the more you can automate things, you know, the better. So, you know, if you do, even if you if you can afford it, try to try to use bill pay, try to track, yeah. you know, where you are, and use those tools so that you're paying every bill on time. I think I think the best way to improve your score. Let's say you do have a score, like you talked about. The best way, um, you know, pay every bill on time credit or otherwise, you know, make sure those bills are being paid on time. I, I read a statistic in the last couple of weeks that 25, uh, it's only about 25% of Americans that pay their bills on time. Jeez. Now, I didn't, I didn't look into that uh, farther, but I would guess that that probably means a lot of people use grace periods and things. They're not in that 90-day range where it's affecting their credit, or we'd see credit scores lower than probably it's 2007. Exactly, yeah. But again, that's a sign of saying, you know, if, if they're having to use grace periods or things, you know, why? Is that some type of tool they're using or is there a reason behind that? And so as a general rule, you know, I think the top three things you could do, pay every bill on time, try to make sure that if you look at kind of the credit that's available to you, you want to use about 30% of that. Yeah. Um, we talked earlier about, you know, a, a portion of our your credit scores looking at do you utilize the credit that's available to you? Can, can you afford to take out more credit? Yeah, it probably comes as a red flag if they're saying, oh, we'll give Chad a $10,000 line of credit and he's just 
hitting that ceiling every time. You know, if we yep. give him 15000 is he going to just go right to that next ceiling? That's right. That's right. That Kind of that revolving debt is what you're talking about. Yeah. So I think a good general rule is, is keep that at about 30% of the available revolving debt you have, whether it's credit card or, or like you said, a you know signature loan or whatever type of credit you have, and then um, you know sometimes you'll hear this, but keep old accounts opened. You know, I mean, you want to watch them for fraudulent activities, and we can talk about that. But make sure that you're uh, you're watching those the, the, those old accounts. I think a lot of people rush to close them. But it's not bad because, again, if you're trying to target about using about 30% of your available credit, you need available you gotta credit. you got to have it open. And That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's other things you could do, and we'd be happy to meet with people on the individual components of the score as, as far as being able to um, keep your, you know, maybe improve one of those components itself. Sure, yeah. But um, overall, I think those are, you know, pretty good rules of thumb to follow. Well, good. You know, I, hopefully this, this discussion clarified some of the mystery around credit scores, how they're generated, what they're used for. You know, in, in a way, it sometimes can go feel counterintuitive. You know, you think if I'm responsible and I don't go into, correct, into debt at all, you know, I'm not creating a, a history of making payments, and it, it, that actually can affect you and hurt you a little bit. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There, there was a CBS uh, news report and C- that, that kind of caught my attention some time ago. And um, they used the example of a 30-year-old, which I would say are most of our uh, you know, physicians that are just getting started and, and kind of in that stage where they're starting to maybe wonder about their credit and how it will affect them as they start to buy homes and things like that. So they, they used their examples of a, of a 30-year-old with poor credit. Yeah. And um, in the example, they used someone that had a, an $18,000 car loan. They had $5,000 in credit card debt, so about the same average that you mentioned that Americans are at, sure. and a $400,000 mortgage. And they said, okay, someone with a poor credit score, how much more are they going to pay than someone with, a, with an excellent score, like we mentioned earlier? And someone that's on that lower end, they would, they would pay on those three loans alone Probably about a quarter of a million dollars, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars more in interest Jeez, than just yeah. having a better score. Wow. Um, now you know, and you can. There are some places, not not in Utah, unfortunately, but some places where you can get a, a, a nice home for two hundred fifty thousand. Maybe no, you still absolutely. can in some parts of Utah, but yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, it's that's a significant difference of just understanding your credit score and making sure you're you're trying to uh, keep it as high as possible. Uh, the other thing I liked about their their example is they looked at someone that said, well, what if you have a good score? What if you're in that good range? Maybe not that, that upper echelon, but you're just a good score. And even at that, the difference is about 30000 on those three debts that, that someone with a good score would pay as compared to someone with an excellent score. So I would say, you know, this, you're right. This is a very important area that you want to watch. It's something you want to track. And, and, and keep an eye on it. One of the best ways that you can do that is what you referred to earlier in terms of free. And everyone is entitled to go get a free copy of their credit report from each of those, uh, those agencies that we talked about, sure, yeah. um, the, 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 the major credit bureaus. Um, the difference is, is that this credit report that you obtain won't show your score. So the score is what you have to pay for, maybe get from a bank or a credit card or someone that's willing to give it to you. Um, but your credit report, is that's a law. And, 
And so there's you have to be careful. There's a lot of places online that, that kind of trick you into going there. Yeah. But the one you want to go to is um, annualcreditreport.com. Okay. So www.annualcreditreport.com. And you're able to obtain um, ev- all three reports from TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax uh, once, or you can spread them out throughout the year. But I would say that's a great practice for anyone with credit. Um, maybe Maybe get one every three months print off that report. Again, it's free to do. You can do it once a year for each of those agencies. And it's a good way to just make sure that you, that everything on that report you're aware of. Yeah, nothing's gone awry. You're not That's gonna, right. no big surprises next time you go to apply for a loan. I just had a client not too long ago that went to apply for a mortgage and they told him he wouldn't qualify. And this is a surgeon making a great income, never been late on a payment. And he's like, what are you talking about? And suddenly, on his report, it was reporting that he hadn't paid for Netflix and and uh, some Amazon things <laughs> and on a card and and a home that he had purchased in Las Vegas, even though he does not go to Las Vegas. So it's also a great way to detect fraud and make sure that uh, what's on that report is accurately showing you, which ultimately is what does feed into that score that we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, Jeff, great great conversation. Thank you for your thoughts. And Thank insight. you, Chad. Yeah. And. Uh, We'll do it again sometime. That sounds great. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Bye now.